Flexible working has changed millions of working lives for the better. But at what cost? How can we replace or reinvent the face-to-face connections and shared values that shaped our organisations in the first place? I'm Nigel Cassidy and this is the CIPD Podcast. Welcome. Well, would you believe it's our 200th podcast? Well done, team, and thank you for keeping listening. To mark our 200th, a topic that we know from CIPD research is one of today's trickiest people issues. How do you balance our new working freedoms with post-COVID realities? Because our whole business culture is built on behaviour learnt from physically working alongside each other. The more we work alone, the more we risk losing shared purpose and belonging. The glue, the us in organisations, if you like. And I mean, we ought to be concerned about this when we keep reading about yet another well-known business that seemed settled on hybrid working that is now using sticks rather than carrots to get staff back in. But is there a more balanced approach which will allow workers to keep much of the autonomy and freedom from commuting that makes them happy? Well, three great guests with us from Aviva, from Pearson and CIPD. But first, as it is our 200th edition, we asked a selection of workers and managers what they felt about the pros and cons of remote working in their organisations. There's a office culture young people coming in regularly, getting to know each other more and more. And the remote working culture is mainly the older members of staff who've been working remotely for the last three years. And that's problematic, I think. Out of about 90 employees, we've now downsized to an office that roughly takes about 40 people. We now need to book in, otherwise I won't get a spot. That creates a nice culture when you're in the office as well, because part of the reason going into the office is to see people and to be sociable. We live in Egypt. We have a different culture here. The biggest challenge was the culture of the top management or line managers. They cancelled the working from home. That's an old fashion. We can develop the working from home policy to achieve what we need. Having meetings with people online has worked reasonably well. You know, you don't pick up the nuance of when someone is about to add their point and so you come to a stop. You might be reminding staff about your aims and objectives. And there's something about when you do that online, it sounds rather forced. Online remote environments are quite formal. They have become quite sort of transactional. We're we're in this meeting to achieve this result. You could miss big things. We have a check-in once a week, usually on a Monday. How did the weekend go? What have you got on this week? When are you intending to come in? Have people feeling overloaded? Is there something personally going on in their life? I don't think there's any problem with remote working. If people look after each other and respect each other, you can introduce almost any initiative and it ought to be fine if the values and culture of the organisation are strong enough. If you put yourself in the boss's shoes, a lot of them will panic about a lack of control. Because when they can see people, if they suddenly need to get them, they can walk over to their desk. Big companies are very keen to talk about trust and have it as a value and so on. But I think it proves that in practice, Trust is very hard to maintain when you can't see someone. Well, lots to pick up on there. There's that trust issue. 
two tribes that exists in many companies and the difficulty of those uh, back-to-back online meetings maybe for picking up on stressed or unhappy workers at home. Well, to consider these kinds of questions and many more, we've the senior HR manager of the world's learning company, Pearson. His focus, he says, is especially on diversity, inclusion and the impact of technology. It's Kevin Lyons. Hi, Nigel. Lovely to be here. From the home team, CIPD Senior Policy Advisor, resourcing and inclusion with more than 20 years experience considering the people aspects of organisations and performance, it's Claire McCartney. Hi everyone. And another influential HR practitioner with past senior roles including spells at Metro Bank and Lloyds Banking Group, she's Chief People Officer at the largest UK insurer, Aviva PLC. Welcome, Danny Harmer. Hello. Lovely to be here. So, uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. I mean, what interests me, um, I mean, some of those issues raised there, why are companies rowing back from all home working, including yours? I mean, is it that senior managers maybe just don't quite trust people, as we heard? Well, let's face it, this is only an issue for companies that are, you know, office-based workers. So those in hospitality and travel and you know retail they're they're in a totally different space so I think we just need to be thoughtful about that every organization that was home-based has had to row back from it well has chosen to row back from it because you no longer have to force people to be at home I think organizations that get it right you know obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna think that we're doing a reasonably good job of it are the ones that say look or try and understand and start to use the data, although it's still pretty early in terms of data that we all have, to say, what is it that being together brings as a benefit? Uh, When should you do it? What's the impact on performance for the organization and productivity and actually engagement and well-being of people being together or being apart? And do you actually know that from your own organization, how things uh, were before and after? You know, time is time is rather helpful, isn't it, to start to get data. And and there are a few data points that I think are really interesting. One of the biggest predictors of whether or not a colleague will choose to spend time in the office is whether their leader does. So and intuitively, we'd all know, right, leaders are role models in this space. So that's the first one. The second one that I think is really interesting is that when we start to look engagement coming through and correlate that with office attendance, whilst lots of our people were very lucky, we have good levels of engagement. But for the people who are not in the office very much, they are much more likely to be disengaged. And actually, they're much more more likely to be so disengaged that they won't even engage with the survey. So you sort of find completion rates are much lower. And when they do complete it, their engagement levels are much lower. And then finally, I think this is a really interesting trend that we're just starting to see. When we correlated mental um, health, mental well-being with office attendance, we saw that as we've made a sort of gradual climb back up to better levels of office attendance, but still giving people much more flexibility probably than they had pre the pandemic. Mental wellbeing has improved. So, you know, absences in relation to mental health challenges have reduced. And it's, uh, you know, it's this incredible correlation between the two. And it's almost counterintuitive to what I would have expected because you kind of think, well, People might just, you know, take a duvet day if they're not feeling great. But actually, people coming in now are feeling better for being in. Right. And just before I go to you, others, can I ask you quickly, do you mandate any particular days for your people to be in altogether or the managers decide which are the office days? We've asked leaders to coordinate it with their teams, because as we heard on one of the sort of, you know, the box pops before we started, 
the benefit of being in is being with the people you work with. So we're asking leaders to work with their teams and coordinate it in a way that makes sense and think about the activities that they want people to be there together for. You see, Claire McCartney bosses mandating the office days. I suspect some people may not like that because it kind of removes that essential freedom, the flexibility that they enjoyed during the COVID times. And can you really take that away without making your workforce unhappy or even people leaving? You know, I think that it is challenging. And I think particularly mandating specific days can be a bit of a blunt tool because actually what it's doing is reducing employee choice and autonomy. And we know that they are key drivers of well-being, engagement and motivation. But, you know, there is definitely no one size fits all. And we're all working across different sectors, professions. And actually, you know, what we need to do is to work out what works best for our business our roles, um, but also for our employees as well. And, you know, despite hearing headlines, you know, in the media of everyone back in the office, that isn't necessarily the picture that we're seeing at the CIPD. So around 80% of organisations have a hybrid policy in place. They're experimenting, they're learning. Some do want people in for a minimum amount of time, others don't. Even Zoom I saw, how ironic is that? Yeah, I mean, interesting. So, you know, Zoom are kind of learning from their own situation and and seeing actually there's there's a different way that works for them. But there isn't a one size fits all. And I really encourage organisations to kind of review their own approaches and see what works best for them and their um, employees as well. Absolutely. Well, we've heard from Danny that uh, they've brought a lot of people back and that's uh, working for them. Uh, By contrast, Kevin Lyons at Pearson, you were and have remain pretty liberal letting people choose where they work but I do see you've kind of gussied up your central London office to make it more attractive so just sort of talk about the the mix that you have I mean what are the ground rules? Well the ground rules are that the employee decides with the approval of their manager what their their working pattern is that's put into the HR system that gives a framework that everyone can work to Uh, We don't mandate that people come into the office. We don't say you have to come in a particular day of the week. We do like people to come into the office because there are, as Danny was saying, there are advantages with face-to-face collaboration, meeting people, etc. But equally, I think it's all about flexibility, Nigel. I think it's about allowing employees the flexibility. I think it's a phony concept to say that work and life are separate. I think they are enmeshed, but we have to find the best way to allow employees to dovetail work with their life. I'm thinking particularly about parents who need flexibility. And this definitely impinges on equality for women because women are invariably the primary project managers of the home and the primary caregivers. They need flexibility in order to progress their careers. So organisations can do that within a context of trying to encourage people back into the office. But I think we have to be very careful about mandating days. I think... Uh, Can I just, before we go any further, can I just put that back to Danny? Because, um, I mean, your organisation is a a learn... You create learning tools. I wonder, Danny, whether the kind of work you do, uh, where you're having maybe difficult conversations with customers and all that... Do you think it's more difficult in an organisation like yours to give people the freedoms which um, uh, we've just been hearing about? I mean, I think Kevin's right. You can you can give people the freedom. I think there's a sort of 
philosophical decision that organizations need to make about where they stand on this. I mean, ultimately, you know, I personally love every single one of our 22,000 people, but the start point of that, my relationship with them, Aviva's relationship with them is an employment one. And I think we just need to work out kind of where to draw the line on that. I totally echo Kevin's point about, you know, my least favorite phrase in the world is work-life balance. We all live a life and work is part of that for many of us. So I think trying to kind of put them on two sides of, of a line is, is not right. I mean, on the gender point, I think it's a really interesting one because I take the, and, and this is why um, flexible working can be, hybrid working can be quite a contentious sort of issue is because we all have a view, but the data is still kind of pretty early in terms of coming through to demonstrate which approach is right. So I worry on the gender point that actually if we give more flexibility, particularly to women, and they're therefore in the office less, that actually we might slow down their careers so and I don't know which is right I don't know if Kevin's hypothesis is right or my hypothesis is right we're definitely tracking the data <laughs> well let's let's ask Claire McCartney because she kind of sees this across the piece what kind of light can you shed is there any research on this can we form any conclusions about what we're doing with people yeah I think it's a really important discussion so thank you to both of you We've been part of the Hybrid Working Commission that recently launched a report and it showed that hybrid working had enabled more women to work um, full time and also had given much greater opportunity um, for people with disabilities and long term health conditions. So on one side, it's great in terms of getting people into work, sustaining it but totally recognise what Danny's saying as well in terms of some of the inclusion challenges. We have got an issue there and we need to make sure that our managers are really great at managing people inclusively, regardless of their work pattern and where they work, because there are studies out there, a Deloitte study, uh, focusing on a, a global sample of women, which shows that more women feel that they're left out of, you know, certain key conversations when they're working in a hybrid world. So I think it's a, a balancing point. There are some real benefits in terms of access and participation, but actually from a cultural perspective and from a line manager perspective, we need to get it right. Otherwise, there'll be some negative consequences. Kevin, what do you have to say about that trust issue that one of our managers mentioned in the Vox Pops at the beginning, that um, however much uh, you want to trust people, if you can't see them, do we still have um, lots of unreconstructed bosses who just can't seem to distinguish between times when it's, it's brilliant to get people together and times when actually they can get on with things on their own? I think there are different leaders who have different views and they're maybe on a journey as well. Or have you had to educate leaders on that journey ever? Yeah, I had a conversation with a leader who said, you know, I want everybody back in the office. I said, you're going to have to offer more flexibility. Uh, so he implemented the decision and came back to me two weeks later and said, I've had 10 resignations in two weeks. You were right. So we pivoted. And I think you have to do that, and, but sensibly. You set goals and outcomes. You set parameters. You set out what the employees have to achieve. And then there has to be a level of performance management. But you have to trust. You have to trust inflexibility. I think flexibility of working is what it's about. We also have to think about the march of technology, the march of technology. 
we wouldn't have been able to do all the working that we did during the pandemic without technology. And every single day, the platforms are getting better and new tech is coming along. You can tell I'm very keen on tech. So generative AI is the next thing. So people can work anywhere now. They don't have to come into an office. So I don't see it as home and office. I see it as flexibility of working. And also organizations encouraging employees to come into the office for the reasons that we've talked about. Face-to-face collaboration, the inclusion, the being with others. But also there might be other reasons that you can entice people into offices, what I call destination offices. So you quite rightly said, Nigel, you refurbed your premises at the Strand. Yes, we did. During COVID, we completely refurbished our head office. And it's now a collaborative workspace with a swanky cafe, great views of London. It's in a brilliant location. People come in for that as well, as well as the fact that they can work there. It's a shift of mindset. Different organizations have different challenges. And we have people who work in test centers that have to be in a, in a, in a test center. They have to be in a location. We have other employees where we can have much more flexibility about where they work. But again, you can integrate flexibility, start times, the shift patterns. You can do everything you can around flexibility. And so, and I think that, you know, generally the gene, the genie is out of the bottle now on flexibility. Mm-hmm. But what have we lost, Danny, if this just all continues? I mean, we want to talk a bit also here about the kind of cultures that created our organisations. Have you had any thoughts about this? I mean, does it matter if we lament a a lost organisational culture, if we've created a new one? Or are there things that people learn by osmosis from each other that just can't be replaced by the style of working that um, Kevin's clearly pretty well getting used to? There's something about, you know, what I said, the engagement data for people who aren't in. Now, we all know that it might be that people who are just not engaged are choosing not to come in or that not being in drives higher levels of disengagement. And when people say to me, I'm just as productive in the office as I am at home. My point is this isn't, you know, the employment relationship is not just about productivity. I want people who are set up to win, are learning from the people around them and growing and developing their careers in a way that works for them and for Aviva. You know, it's a sort of mutually um, beneficial relationship. And that sort of stuff makes people sticky. Now, I think if you impose a lack of flexibility to the extent that Kevin described, you know, one of his leaders did, that's not smart in an environment and in a market where, you know, the labor market's pretty tight and people have choice. But I think being as an organization, being clear about why you want to co- people to come in, what the benefits are, you know, in our investment management business, the way people learn, we have small kind of, you know, player coach teams. The way people learn is just sitting around and, and they don't, please no, they do not sit around all day, but as they are working, you know, hearing stuff and just picking things up by osmosis, as you say, Nigel. And then, you know, in our customer facing teams, for example, because of the products that we support customers with, we're quite often talking to customers who are very ill, who suffered a bereavement. And while the teams are very supportive of each other, if you come off one of those calls at your kitchen table and you're on your own and you've just spoken to somebody who's, you know, just found out they've got terminal cancer or that or their husband's died and they need to make a claim. I think, you know, when I talk to the teams, having that team around them is really, really important. The sort of, the, you know, the support network. And I know you can do it virtually, 
but I think it's so much more face-to-face. Claire McCartney, we've heard a lot of points from Kevin and Danny. What particularly strikes you? What strikes me is that there is, I mean, through our findings, there is a challenge um, from organisations' perspective around a weakening of organisational culture and also not being as connected to the organisation's purpose. There are lots of benefits, um, but, but those two, I think, are areas that we need to start to address. But, but rather than maybe having this kind of constant conversation about focusing on number of days in the office, just as I think Danny and Kevin have been saying, we need to just say, well, how do we make face-to-face time more meaningful? How often should we work together and for what purpose? Um, how can we make the organisational culture come to life for our people, both when they're working remotely, but also when they're in the physical workspace? How can we get mm. them inspired by our purpose and our mission through in-person events and, and also virtual opportunities? So I feel like that is the focus that will help us in terms of addressing some of the challenges around culture um, and also connection to purpose. And I think it, it would be fair to say that people managers are more comfortable with those kind of conversations than line managers and and bosses who might regard that as all rather unimportant and that's why they focus on how many days you're going to come in yeah absolutely but I think it's that lack of connection in terms of purpose and culture which can actually really impact upon Mm. people's motivation and that can really impact upon performance in role as well so I think we really need to address those Mm. sorts of issues and while we're with you Claire I just wanted to ask you about how the kind of everyday aspects of a working life carry on under these new kind of hybrid circumstances Uh, for example how you get career progression when people aren't uh, being seen every day and uh, also you know how you get over to them the performance management side we heard one of the uh, vox pops there somebody said it's it is more difficult when you just want to talk to people about aims and objectives, uh, the softer stuff, if you like, that doesn't relate to a specific um, task. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where people managers come in and where we need to be properly supporting them, because actually it is more challenging, isn't it? You know, particularly if they haven't been previously used to working in this way. And, and don't forget loads of global companies work in this way and they're really successful um, and streamlined at it. But how can we support our line managers to make sure that they're having those regular one-to-one conversations with people where, you know, they're talking about work and responsibilities, but also they're talking about any challenges they might be having in their personal lives, well-being issues, but also regular career conversations. Um, And I think if those regular conversations are in place, it doesn't necessarily matter whether they're remote or in person, if that kind of trust and that regular conversation is taking place but it it needs to be taking place in order to kind of move all of these points forward and people managers really need to be aware of things like proximity bias so I'm not going to give all the opportunities to someone if they're in the physical workspace with me I'm going to think really carefully and fairly about opportunities as well so I think there are there's a lot we can do to support our people managers they often have a lot on their shoulders as well so I think we need to you know, realise that and, and really support them where we can. So let's try and make this practical. Uh, Kevin and Danny, can I ask each of you then how you go about replacing some of uh, the lost conversations, if you like? We just heard from Claire how it's important not just to talk about the number of days in, but how people relate to each other, how work gets done. Have you found any ways of creating... Um, a kind of new way of working that will accommodate the flexibility that uh, we need? 
we've spent um, a lot of time supporting our leaders to think about this. So I think there's just a general point here, which Claire alluded to, which is the job of a leader is becoming more and more complicated. It's not just about, you know, here are the work goals, get me the outputs. It's about people have choice about where they work. They've understood that they're, you know, the whole of them should be considered in the workplace. For years, we've known that being able to answer positively to the question, my boss or someone at work cares about me, has a massive impact on level of engagement and how people feel about the organisation. I think, you know, the, the, the approach we've taken in Aviva is we give leaders a framework, we give them skills, we give them, you know, practical tips on how to manage flexibility in the wider sense, including working location. And then we allow them to make the decisions locally. So give leaders a framework, because in my experience, most people want to know kind of what are the rules, how do things work around here, but don't hold people too tight. And then make sure that you've got masses of practical support on how do I have a conversation with my team about how we manage days in the office? What do I do if somebody says they really don't want to come in? And, you know, we do sort of lead a live streams on this topic as well. And those are the sorts of questions we get. And so when someone says, what do I do if someone in my team doesn't want to come in? I say, well, you probably need to have a conversation with them because you should probably be quite worried about them because they're probably either disengaged or there's something else going on you know but try not to get into that sort of entrenched well you have to come in because the organization says you know that that as leaders we're we're asking you to own this and when I was listening earlier to a point Claire was making I was thinking especially in probably bigger organizations the nuance of a message can very easily get lost because what can start as look we think around 50 percent of time in the office is probably right because of all these reasons suddenly you speak to you know people who are talking to your customers on the front line and they say I've been told I have to be in two and a half days every week which means three days one week and two the next and you just go where's all the nuance and intent gone so I think as organizations you've got to remember to come back to the the why of what you're talking mm. to people about rather than just focusing on a number I mean it almost seems Kevin as if uh, Danny and her team have kind of worked out all the kind of stuff that doesn't happen spontaneously and they've built things into their system and I'm wondering uh, in your organization where people are um, unashamedly uh, getting on with things in accordance with uh, whatever their bosses have set out for them whether the conversations that ought to go on the face-to-face the spontaneous stuff uh, is going to happen spontaneously at all. Well, I think I think conversations can take place, and they can take place uh, virtually, and they can take place in in person. But a lot of parallels of what Danny was saying. Our approach has been to make sure that there's the framework, that there are resources, content, support for leaders. We rolled out a remote working policy. I think HR professionals have done absolutely brilliantly, yeah, since the pandemic to pivot the way that organizations work. We've taken the lead in that. We can take immense pride in that in the HR profession generally. Yet another area where we're leading in what organizations do. But also leaders, when they get it, they start to be quite imaginative and start to think about how can we encourage employees to come into the office, for example. So do we have scrum events in the office? Do we have all hands events? Do we offer a free breakfast? Do we try to think about those days where we have less occupancy in the office? I think the recent stat I saw saw that the percentage of UK employees that work in an office on a Friday is just 13%. So what could we do to maybe encourage some occupancy on those days? 
I think there's been some important, I wanted to come back actually to something that Danny was saying about engagement. And I think it's really good if an organization is looking at the insights that are provided by the engagement data. What we have seen is we're very encouraged by the way that our engagement scores have increased by a, a yeah, sizable mean. And we're getting good answers to certain key questions and good response levels. Productivity seems to be up. So we're confident at the moment that the way that we're working is moving in the right direction. I am still concerned about what I'm seeing about the play out of the mandated return to office. I was concerned by the recent Pebble study that said of the 2000 parents they surveyed, half of them said that they would have to leave the workplace because of the increasing nature of childcare costs. Because if, if you'd said to me for the pandemic, what are the two major rocks in the road to what I call true female equality, it would be the lack of flexible working and the lack of affordable childcare. So there are still dangers that could come back to haunt us. Okay. I want to try and draw a few conclusions, leave people with some positive tips, perhaps. Um, I'll come to Claire at the end um, because she kind of pulls all this together at the CIPD. But um, Danny, some quick wins, maybe things people can do. Perhaps they're not so far along the path as you. I think decide what your organisation wants to do and why, what, what the purposes of offices are. Get some data. Talk to your leaders about what works because they will know what works. But just understand that in the absence of data, the reason this is one of the trickiest issues we've ever dealt with is because every single individual has a view on hybrid working and that view is in, informed by their personal choice. And what you have to do is try and get that off the table to start to have sensible, commercial, but people-focused conversations. Kevin Lyons? I think to build on what Danny said, um, I think organisations need to embrace flexibility and embrace technology make the mindset shift and yeah, work can be really exciting and productive and employees can have what they really want, which is meaning, purpose and well-being at work within a flexible format. Okay. And Claire McCartney, we're talking here all the time about ways to foster or rebuild a, a positive organisational culture to bring people together, whether they're working on-site, off-site or a mixture of the two. Again, any uh, tips for us to finish? Yeah, I think I think the, the crucial role of people managers, so getting our people managers up to speed to be able to, you know, really manage teams successfully, to think about ways of collaborating, connecting to the organisational purpose. But I think, you know, overall, it's about normalising flexible working for all. It shouldn't be for certain groups. And if it is, it start, we start to get a bit of a stigma associated with it. So actually what we need is flexible working across the board, not just hybrid. We're here to talk about hybrid. But as Danny started off, we need to think about those people in frontline roles um, and non-office workers as well. It's incredibly important. So let's get that conversation going and progress it further. Thank you so much to Claire McCartney, to Danny Harmer from Aviva and Kevin Lyons from Pearson uh, for making this such a thoughtful and practical discussion. Symbolic maybe for this 200th edition. Uh, you can just see how much our working lives have changed since our first podcast. We'd love some of your feedback about this edition, your thoughts for example on how we balance where people work now and indeed how or whether business culture matters in people management and you can do this via the CIPD podcast page or LinkedIn. 
This seems a good time for me to thank the unheard but always creative and supportive CIPD duo of Derek Tong and Christian Adams who make this podcast happen every month and the top technical team at Listen. But for now, from me, Nigel Cassidy, for the 200th time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.